Zenni offers prescription glasses starting at $6.95, as well as affordable sunglasses, blue blockers, and more. The best part? Try any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Visit Zenni.com today and change the way you buy glasses forever. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Now, you know that Audible.com is like the leading provider of audiobooks, uh, but you may not know all the other content that they have. So we're offering you a free trial. You can check it out for yourself. Just go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and explore. I think you are going to be amazed at what you find there. This podcast over the years um, has been um, honored to be included on lists of the best business podcasts or sales podcasts or um, the like uh, on everything from Inc.com to Forbes.com to um, Proven, People First, uh, just a, a whole range of lists. And I'm tremendously grateful for that. And know that that is really because of the guests. Uh, These are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business, and they join me for a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you. Today is no different. My guest today is Stephen Shapiro. Stephen started his innovation work over 20 years ago while leading a 20,000-person innovation practice at the consulting firm Accenture. Since then, He's written six books on innovation, including Best Practices Are Stupid, which was named the best innovation and creativity book of 2011 by 800 CEO Reed, which is now Porchlight, and was an international number one business bestseller. His latest book, Invisible Solutions, 25 Lenses That Reframe and Help Solve Difficult Business Problems, was released in March of 2020. Thanks so much for joining me today, Stephen. Diane, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about um, problem solving innovatively, which I I so love this topic. Uh, And we are like in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. So how would, how do you think coronavirus can be used to drive innovation? 
Well, I, I think anytime there's a an economic downturn, anytime that there are challenges, anytime that there's a, a pain, uh, it drives some level of innovation. Now, what I find is that there tends to be two two phases of innovation. The first phase of innovation is what I'd call a reactive adoption. Uh, and I think we saw that as, okay, we can't meet in person, so let's move everything online. Uh, but I think what we're seeing now is sort of that second phase, which is more of a proactive innovation approach where we're stepping back and saying, hey, you know what? Simply automating what we've always done in the past, just basically trying to do what we did previously doing it virtually may not be the right solution. Let's step back and really make sure we're doing things right. And I think that's the great opportunity right now is it's driving a lot of change. Yeah, I do too. It, it is um, uh, what's the heartening to see how many businesses are really being innovative, you know, that, that are really, you know, maybe they were used to things for decades and this whole thing has really got them thinking, thank goodness. Right. I mean, the, the really interesting thing is you look at, for example, office space. You know, how, how many companies spend, you know, the amount of money that they spend on real estate and space and commuting and travel time and all of that. And so now it's starting to open up new opportunities for people to think about, well, how do we still have office space, but rethink the way we, you know, utilize our office space? How do we rethink commuting? How do we rethink uh, teamwork and collaboration? So these big questions, I think, are really going to be very powerful for not just businesses, but I think society as a whole. Yeah, I do too. Uh, absolutely. And and one thing that I find sort of interesting is all of those companies that where the leadership said, no, I'm sorry, you can't work remotely. Then we're forced into everybody working remotely and somehow figured it out. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it'll be interesting to see how much the pendulum swings back. And yeah, I don't think we know the answer to that one yet. I think it'll be interesting, though, to see, you know, how much of this sticks. I think in some areas, it will stick 100%. I think there'll be some groups of people who say, wow, this is the way we want to do things now. And I think for others, maybe some people who are more traditional in nature and are locked into uh, older ways of doing things, they'll want to at least bring some of that back. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see how it all plays out in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm wondering if you would share some practical tools that um, people can use to find hidden solutions to a problem. I think the key in finding hidden solutions is to recognize that by focusing on the solution, we don't see those solutions. So the entire premise of the book is how do we step back and ask better questions? How do we make sure the problem we think we're solving is the right problem. So let's just take the, the current situation. You know, a lot of people are asking the question, how can we replicate what we've been doing in person virtually? Now that question in itself will lead us down a particular path of thinking, which is really more about autom automation and how do we digitize things. But we could ask a number of different questions that might lead us down a completely different path. You know, what aspects of the digital world are superior to the physical world? What aspects of the physical world do we need to retain? Uh, why are we meeting to begin with? It's probably a really good question because in a lot of cases we have these meetings that are, that are irrelevant. So how can we eliminate some of the unnecessary meetings or at least some of the unnecessary steps and aspects of some of these meetings? So changing that question 
uh, changes the range of solutions you're going to develop. I think that's great. Okay, so why is it that we go directly to, um, I, I will say, I guess, like the most obvious question? Well, we tend to go to the most obvious solution, actually, in most cases. And the reason oh. for that is because uh, our past success and our past understanding and our past experience creates a lot of assumptions. And those assumptions are hidden, but those assumptions also drive our thinking. Uh, so when you look at companies like, you know, Sears, which used to be one of the world's largest retailers, and now they're, you know, completely irrelevant. Well, what happened was their past success wasn't a predictor of future success. It was actually a predictor of future failure because our expertise actually puts blinders on us to new opportunities that may be outside of our peripheral vision. Yeah, boy, that's a great example. It's like they never got out of the 60s. Exactly. I mean, and, and there, there's so many, I have a, a slide that I call my, you know, there's the book, Good to Great. I have my yeah. slide, which is the Good to Gone slide. And it's all these really good companies like Pan Am, which is the world's largest airline, Howard Johnson's, which was the world's largest restaurant chain. In the 1960s, they were larger than KFC, Burger King, and McDonald's combined. They're gone. Kodak, irrelevant. All these great companies. Uh, Circuit City was in the book, Good to Great. Now they're gone. So I find it so interesting that these companies had resources, they had people, they had money, and they had really, really smart, smart uh, people working for them, yet they became irrelevant because they were often asking the wrong questions because their questions were built on faulty assumptions. Yeah, that's so interesting because they were innovative at one point in time or exactly. in one direction, right? Yeah, absolutely. Look, all these companies were incredibly innovative until they weren't. Uh, and I think that's the, the unfortunate thing is unless you actually say everything we've done in the past could make us irrelevant, everything that we've done previously to make us successful needs to be changed, then you go on this path of irrelevance because most companies are changing at an incremental level of innovation when the world is growing at an exponential level. And so these small changes that most organizations go through, although they're necessary, they're not sufficient in the long run. Right. Wow. Okay. So what questions help us solve problems faster and, and potentially with less risk and cost? Are there particular like specific questions we should be asking? Well, there there are a lot. First, the first question is always, what assumptions am I making? You know, so if you, if you say we've always done it this way or we've never done it this way, okay, right there, you now are uh, at least starting to see some of the assumptions that you have. Uh, you can tell stories about your beliefs and assumptions and, and see what emerges from that. Uh, but what I've created is actually a tool with 25 different questions. 20, I call them lenses. And they're lenses that help you reframe problems. So for example, uh, as human beings, one of the ways we tend to ask questions is what I would uh, call big, broad, and abstract. So, you know, if I you think about a suggestion box for a company, the default question for most suggestion boxes is how do I improve the business or maybe how do I improve revenues or how do I improve margins or whatever the question is. But most of those are really big questions uh, that when you try to ask them, you could get literally thousands and thousands of ideas, thousands and thousands of solutions of which most of them will be irrelevant or low value. In fact, we know that 
with most suggestion boxes, less than one-tenth of a percent of the ideas that are submitted have significant value. So one of the lenses is to figure out what's the leverage point. So if I'm trying to increase productivity, for example, and that's the question you're starting with, the leverage lens says, well, what's the one factor that has the greatest impact? Uh, if I could only solve one part of the problem, uh, what would it be? So if I'm trying to focus on productivity, maybe what I want to first ask myself is where are the greatest bottlenecks in the process and solve the greatest bottlenecks. Where are the greatest amount of handoffs in the process and solve for those. Solve for where you'll get the greatest returns and start there. So there's 20 in the book, there's 25 different ways, but just start thinking about how could I change the question? Just that one thought, how can I change the question uh, to make it more abstract or less abstract or to look at it from a different angle will give you different results. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Okay. Um, I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by audible.com. I'm sure you know that audible.com has thousands of audiobook titles that you can choose from, but you may not know that they also have podcasts, Audible Originals, guided meditations, and so much more. Uh, and so, you know, if you can listen to it, you can probably find it there. And for me, one of the best parts of that is that I can listen to an audiobook and also get my uh, guided meditations in exactly the same place. So I don't have to go, you know, to a whole bunch of different uh, apps or programs. Um, I will also tell you that Stephen Shapiro's book um, is on audible.com, uh, at least his latest book, Invisible Solutions. So see, you could get it right there and you could listen to it and then you'd be smarter. And you'd be thinking differently and asking different questions in your business, which will make all of the difference in the world. Today, we are speaking with Stephen Shapiro about solving problems innovatively. So um, I want to go back to when we were talking about meetings. Um, how do we, or how do you think businesses should be rethinking meetings during COVID? I mean, I know, you know, we said, you know, is it relevant? But, but you know, if you were talking to a business leader, what questions should they be asking themselves, especially, you know, in this situation where most things are remote about the meetings they're having? I think the first thing I would ask is what's the purpose of the meeting? And is there a different way to get the same result? So for example, we make an assumption one of the assumptions we make, because it, it is more true, I would say, in the physical world, in the digital world, we make the assumption that everybody has to be together at the same time having the same conversation. So meet, meeting is what you'd call synchronous. Everybody's there, real time. And so if a meeting's from 10 to 11 o'clock, we all need to be there present at 10 to 11 o'clock. But one of the big questions that I always ask is, like, what could be delivered asynchronously? So, for example, how could we use video? to share information. There's so many great tools these days, whether it's Slack or Voxer, which is an audio version, uh, or Bon, uh, sorry, not Bomba, but uh, Marco Polo, which is a video chat thing. We use these a lot 
to share quick updates with groups of people so that uh, we don't have to meet. Because a lot of the times, the beginning part of most meetings is somebody just sharing something that could be shared in a video, an email, or a text. So what if we started off with everything happening asynchronously before the meeting and all that happens during the meeting is the real-time conversation that couldn't take place asynchronously? That's to me one of the big questions that I always ask. Wow. See, I think that is huge. It makes me think about when I was on a board of directors and our monthly meeting was hours long and was like a a reading of each committee's <laughs> report. And, I, and you know, one day I just said, can't we just send everybody the reports ahead of time and they can read them? And then the only thing we're talking about in the meeting is things that we need answers to. Like, you know, once you read it, if there's a question or if you need to take a vote or something, it just seemed so, like such a huge waste of time. Absolutely. And I think that's the, really the great uh, opportunity we have right now. You know, so one of the lenses that I use is what I call the eliminate lens. Like, what can we eliminate? Uh, you know, what, what are we doing that's not necessary? Uh, because we're always looking to add, you think about software or whatever it might be, we're always thinking, what can we add? What can we add? What can we add? But I, I love a quote uh, in terms of the definition of perfection. Perfection is no longer, it's not attained when there's no longer anything to add, but when there's no longer anything left to remove. And I think it's just a brilliant uh, perspective of what can we remove from our meetings? What can we remove? And then we use the resequence lens, which is about timing. What can we do before the meeting? That doesn't have to happen at the meeting. What can we do after the meeting? So how can we resequence the work so that we become much more efficient with it and people can do it on their own time? So I think there's just huge opportunities here right now to rethink work in general so that people are uh, really focused on the value adding aspects. And when we get together real time, synchronously, it is really for a conversation that could not happen offline. Yeah. Do you think that there are um, obstacles that leaders have um, that, that keep them from thinking this way? Well, I think we get used to certain ways of operating. I mean, it's natural. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's important to sort of step back and just recognize the fact that the brain's primary function is survival. And so what it does is it creates neural pathways, which are basically paths in the brain to things that we've done in the past. And so, and the reason for this is because whatever we've done previously didn't kill us. The fact that we're on this podcast right now, this conversation right now, well, that means everything we did prior to this didn't kill us. So that's good news. So the brain says, hey, let's perpetuate the past. Let's do what we've done in the past because that's, that's how we're wired. And so we want to minimize those pains. So what we need to start recognizing though is we have current, I, I never like the word opportunity amongst a you know, crisis like this, but we do have an opportunity to step back and rethink because people are more open to doing things differently. Yeah, that's a that's a huge point. It is interesting that people have sort of been forced into this system of thinking differently than they were before. But speaking of that, or and speaking of that, how can people um, 
like increase the pace of change in their organization so they're sure they remain relevant and and they avoid disruptions as much as possible yeah i mean i think that's a that's a really really important question and and i would say the the issue is in some cases it's interesting the issue isn't always the pace of change it's the pace of change in the right direction because i think a lot of companies are moving quickly but they're moving quickly in the wrong direction and that just means you're moving further and further away so when i work with leaders the first thing is for a leader to recognize that they should not believe that they're the ones to have the answers and when there's an organization where the leader thinks that they know it all you know they're the center of the universe Uh, and they have all the answers, that's the first sign of a company going off the rails. The role of a leader is actually to ask questions that get everyone else inside the organization to ask better questions. And when you have an organization that's constantly, uh, and and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, paralysis by analysis type of thing, but when we're always just sort of putting a quick pause button saying, are we moving with speed in the right direction? and then we can do some course corrections, that gives you speed. And I think that's really, to me, one of the keys organizationally is to get people to just make sure we're moving in the right direction. And what that often requires is for the organization to know what's the right direction. (laughs) A lot of companies, you know, they have missions and visions, but they're platitudes. They're Mm -hmm. not they're not really a clear direction for the organization to move. So one of the things that I suggest companies do is really get crystal clear on what their differentiator is and then innovate where you differentiate. Focus your energies on the parts of the organization that are going to help you stand out from the competition. The reason why people do business with you and then find clever strategies for everything else. That's how you get speed in the right direction. That's so interesting. And I'm so glad that you said that Leaders aren't supposed to have all the answers. I I so believe that, that they are, I I like this about, you know, that they have to, you know, their job is to ask better questions so that people ask different questions and, and better questions. And that feels to me like that's a really empowering thing for the people who work within the organization because, you know, now they know that, they're not just allowed to think out loud. There's an expectation that they are always thinking about how are we doing things. Yeah, exactly. And it's a great motivator because most people want to feel as though they're making a valuable contribution. And that can take a lot of different forms, but when we can tap into the collective wisdom of the organization and get some of the best thinking that's there, it can only help the, the, the company uh, move forward in the right direction. So I, I think it, it serves so, so many purposes in terms of creating a high-performing organization. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so how is innovation different from problem solving? They're uh, cousins. Uh, from my perspective, problem solving is the umbrella. Anytime you're working on an issue, problem, challenge, or opportunity, that's problem solving. To me, innovation is a subsection, a subsegment of uh, problem solving, and that it is really about how do we solve those differentiating problems. So, not every problem is going to be innovation. Uh, how do we move papers faster? 
might not be considered innovation, but it's a problem that we might need to solve. Uh, but how do we, you know, serve our customers in an environment where uh, we, we can only let so many people into our stores, which is a current situation right now? Well, that might be innovation because that's something which raises to a higher level of strategic value. It's something which impacts the business at a much more strategic and significant level. So they're very, very similar, but I think of innovation as a specific instance of problem solving focused on what is more high value and more differentiating in nature. Okay. That, thank you for that. So if, if now I'm thinking that a company should really focus their innovation on these higher level situations as opposed to everything. Because I could, you know, I could see people listening and thinking, okay, then we just have to innovate about everything. And that's, that doesn't sound like what you're saying. No, definitely not. I mean, look, we have problems. We have to solve every problem in one form or another, but it also doesn't mean we have to be the ones who find the solutions. Mm. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in things such as crowdsourcing and open innovation and partnerships and collaboration. So I might have a, a problem that needs to be solved. Maybe I'm not the one who has to solve it, but I have a supplier or a vendor or a partner who can solve it. Or it's something where I'm trying to develop a complex chemical compound and I decide, you know what, I'm going to ask, uh, you know, a, a group of a half million researchers out there and I'll pay them a prize for the person who can find a solution. Uh, so we have to identify the problems, but then we can look externally in many cases for the solutions. Uh, and I think that's a really important point is we want to separate the problem definition from the solution finding. We tend to collapse them together. Mm. And that to me is a missed opportunity because if we innovate where we differentiate, if we put most of our energies internally on the things which really separate us that no one else could help us with, well, now we can partner externally with pretty much everything else, whether it's outsourcing, whether it's partnership, whether it's you know, different forms of collaboration and licensing. There's a lot of solutions you can license that would be a heck of a lot cheaper to do it that way than it would be for you to try to develop it internally. That's really interesting. I was thinking when you were talking about that, I was thinking about um, that sometimes some of the most interesting ideas that you get are from people in a totally different industry. But we have this tendency to think that uh, we have to stay within our industry to get answers. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the lenses is the analogy lens. And one of the things that we know, we actually know this from science is that the best breakthroughs are a result of exactly what you said. The best breakthroughs always come from someone outside your area of expertise or through multidisciplinary teams that collaborate together. And so anytime you're trying to solve a problem, the first question, which I always like to ask is who else has solved a similar problem in an area outside of my industry? Hmm. And so, you know, uh, for example, one, one group that I love is something called pumps and pipes. Pumps and pipes is a, a group of cardiologists and people from the oil and gas pipeline industry that get together on a regular basis. And if you think about it, they both share in common the movement of a fluid through a tube. And there's some incredible solutions that they found through the collaborations. For example, self-sealing pipelines by studying the way that the body will seal paper cuts and coagulate. 
Uh, and then there's the same thing for uh, the body. They've learned a number. There's just some brilliant solutions that were developed by studying the way gas pipelines eliminate sludge in their pipeline. They've used those same techniques to eliminate clots in the human body. So these types of breakthrough solutions, I mean, you think about it, an oil pipeline engineer talking with a cardiologist feels like they're worlds apart, yet some incredible breakthroughs can come from that. That's crazy. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you say it, but, <laughs> you know, who came up with that idea? That's just nuts. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's really the big opportunity is when yeah. we ask better questions and we assume that we don't have the answers, but we need to find who has those answers. And as you said, they're often in a different department, a different company, different industry. Uh, that's when you really start to accelerate your innovation engine. Yeah, boy, I, I'm just, I am so loving this. So are there other lens, I mean, I know there's 25 lenses. So are there lenses that we haven't touched on that you think they're uh, a little bit of conversation? I mean, I want people to buy the book, so I don't want you to tell them everything, but. Yeah, they're, they're, one of the lenses which I always like is the uh, variations lens. And the variations lens uh, and it, it's actually built on some advice I was given 30 years ago when I was a computer programmer. And my supervisor said, never design for the exception, design to handle the exception. And what ends up happening is we, in many cases, design our businesses around the most complicated scenario as opposed to the most common scenario. So what if you created variations? What if you were to create different solutions uh, based on different scenarios so that if I have my most profitable customers, I might have one solution. Whereas I have customers who we don't do a lot of business with, well, maybe we don't have the same level of service and we don't have the same level of offerings, but we still have a way of dealing with them. Uh, that's been used in, for example, insurance companies when processing claims is they would start off assuming every claim was complicated. So it would go to a, an expert who would analyze it and then would hand it off to someone else and to someone else and it would take a long time. And when they shifted and said, let's assume that most of our claims are actually really, really, really simple who could be handled by one inexpensive generalist, and they found that 60% of them were, they were able to reduce the amount of time it took to process these uh, claims on average by like 90% and cut their costs down massively by creating variations in their design. Wow. Wow, that, that is really powerful. And I, I, I can see it. I mean, I think people spend an awful lot of time even changing, in you know, changing their policies and decisions when some you know, major thing happens instead of saying, okay, hang on a second, how frequently does this happen? Like, is it really worth investing the time and the money to make a big change if this is something that is random or rare. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And another lens which sort of goes with that in some respects, and this is, I think, one which a lot of us should be asking ourselves right now is the real business lens. Uh, and the real business lens is what business are you really in? The business you think you're in may not be the real business. So I'll just use myself as an example. I would have, if you asked me, uh, you know, a number of years ago or even potentially a number of months ago, what business am I in? I might've told you that I'm a keynote speaker. 
it's what I do for a living. I get on a stage, I give a speech, and then I go to the next event and I give another speech. But what I've realized over time is that's not my real business. Because if I think about it that way, I'm limited to a certain way of delivering my content. I am an innovator and a problem solver. And I help people solve their own problems. And I also help them uh, solve their own problems. And so when I change the business that I'm in from that perspective, now all of a sudden it opens up, okay, well, wait a second. I might never have to get on a stage again and still deliver an incredible amount of value. I can help people solve problems through books and videos and programs and, and consulting and whatever it might be. And now all of a sudden it opens up a different range of opportunities. Uh, and I think that's really the, you know, when you look at the companies that failed, in many cases, they thought they were in one business. Kodak thought they were in the film business. They were actually in the capturing and sharing moments business. And I think when we start thinking about it that perspective, that way, I think it starts to shift things is what business are we really in versus the business we think we're in. And right now, I think is a key time to be asking that question. I was having that conversation yesterday with a colleague of mine because um, in previous years, most of my business was in-person training. And I don't know when or if that's ever going to come back, but that's not, it's the content of the training. It's the result of the training that matters. So I have to figure out other ways of delivering it. Right. Exactly. And I, I think that too often we box ourselves in. Okay. One, of, one of my beliefs is, you know, even though we say, uh, think outside the box, you know, we talked earlier about these big, broad, abstract questions leading to a relevant solution. So I don't think it's about thinking outside the box. To me, you want to find a better box. The constraints actually help us with innovation. The cr constraints being the questions that we ask. And that box actually drives relevance. So if I'm focused on, you know, I'm a speaker and that's the box I think I'm in, uh, as opposed to maybe thinking that I'm in the problem solving business, well, that's a different box. Yeah. And it gives me new opportunities that I might not have had otherwise. And I think that that's a really just a powerful, powerful lens for people to start asking themselves right now is what's your real business? If you're a restaurant, are you in the food business? Are you in the uh, socializing and sharing moments business with friends? What business are you really in? Uh, and or what business could you be in that will help you be even more relevant now and in the future? Yeah, I, it's, uh, it's just huge right now. I mean, it is, I mean, I'm sure it is all the time. I just feel like right now, that is a, a huge lens that we should all be paying attention to. I think that's right now, that is one of the more important lenses. Yeah. Uh, and the real problem lens is sort of the first lens to always use, which is, am I even solving the right problem? Yeah. Uh, you know, so coming back to our whole thing about meetings, you know, how do I automate a meeting? Well, is that really the problem? Maybe we shouldn't be automating meetings at all. Maybe we should be doing something completely different. Maybe we should stop calling them meetings. Maybe they're, you know, if, if it's a collaboration session and it's only focused on collaboration, using collaboration tools, well, that's different. And here's to me, one of the big opportunities we have right now going back to meetings is if I'm in a meeting room you know, everybody's having a conversation. So we're there sort of present from a physical perspective, but not necessarily from a digital perspective. I think one of the opportunities we have right now is if every person, when they're in a meeting is also on their computer, 
of course, it's a downside because they could easily go off and start playing with Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. <laughs> but the bigger opportunities, what digital collaboration tools can we have them use? So when I'm doing one of my speeches, workshops, whatever you want to call it, that's digital, I always have a collaboration part of it where people are getting together uh, using a tool to co-create something because this is actually a big opportunity right now to get everybody uh, digitally connected yeah. real time during a conversation. And it's much harder to do that in the physical world. Right. Right. That's, that's it. This is so interesting. Wow. Stephen, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I have really enjoyed this conversation and um, my brain is sort of, you know, buzzing with a variety of ideas, not the least of which is how I can incorporate your book into uh, trainings, leadership trainings, because it feels like that there's a huge connection there. So it's just what's going on in my head. Um, will you tell the listeners, you know, how they can find you, how they can get your book, uh, other than audible.com and uh, anything you think they should know, please? Sure. And just so people know, the audible book version is me actually reading it. So if you like yeah. my voice, I th you'll, you'll enjoy the, uh, the audio book from audible. Uh, the best place to go is invisiblesolutionsbook.com. That's where you can learn more about the book. You can learn more about me. Uh, that's, that's probably the easiest place to go to invisiblesolutionsbook.com. And you can also download the 25 lenses uh, that I've talked about. So you don't have to buy the book necessarily to get the cheat sheet, which has uh, all the synopsis of all 25 lenses. Wow, that's awesome. I still think they should get the book, but whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> thank you. Uh, listeners, I would like to thank you as well. I think this is a particularly um, relevant and important topic that we've just uh, spent some time on. Um, and boy, asking different questions is just huge, especially right now. I would also like to thank our sponsor, audible.com. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash business growth and get your free trial and then go exploring. Uh, take a look at the audiobooks, all the different titles that are there, different genres. Uh, check out podcasts, see what Audible Originals are all about. Just uh, do yourself a favor and, and see what's available to you. And as always, uh, please continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as slow as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Don't you know that you're a grown-up?
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. (laughs) I've never done it. (laughs) Right.